Well, good morning, everybody. Ah, welcome to the Vista. It is wonderful to see you here today. If we have not met before, my name is Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors, and we are really glad to have you with us. Uh, a couple things before we jump into the sermon. Um, first off, of course, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room today. We are very, very grateful for you. My goodness, motherhood is a challenging but very beautiful calling. Uh, I believe it was Andy Stanley who said something to the effect of, the most important thing you do in your life might not be something you do, but somebody you raise. Right? And I think that really encaptures how beautiful a gift fatherhood and motherhood is. And so moms, just know that we are so grateful for you. Uh, for those of you for whom maybe Mother's Day is a bittersweet day because you, you've lost your mom or you wish you were a mom and you're not or you have an estranged relationship with your mom, we just want you to know that we mourn with you. Paul tells us in Romans 12, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And all of it has a place before God and here and our church family this morning. Uh, and then the second thing is just a quick little COVID uh, protocol update to let you know that starting next Sunday, what will that be, May the 16th, we will now be mask optional in all services. Um, our county is in a great place medically. Uh, the vaccine is readily available. If you've wondered what that tent is out there in the parking lot, it's we do a huge drive-through clinic like Monday through Friday. And so if you want it, vaccine, you can come get it. But we trust you to be adults and make adult decisions for your family starting next Sunday, May the 16th. So uh, today, today we are in week three of our series called Songs, Finding God in the Music and the premise of the series is really quite simple and it's also a lot of fun. Each week we take a song and we listen to it, listen to what it's saying, what it's asking, and then we put that in conversation with the Bible to see how that harmonizes and or clashes with Christian faith. And as we've noted throughout the series, this is very similar to the way that Jesus himself tended to teach. Because Jesus was a man who was deeply rooted in Scripture. Probably had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. He was deeply rooted in Scripture. But Jesus' particular gift was his ability to take the Scripture that he was so rooted in and then apply it to everyday life because Jesus found God at work in the world everywhere all the time. And so Jesus loved to talk to people about God by talking to them about like lost coins and lost sheep and lost children he talked to people about animals and mustard seeds and epic wedding parties because Jesus believed that there were very porous boundaries between the sacred and the secular. For Jesus, it all flowed together. And so Jesus found God at work in the world everywhere all the time. And that's what we're doing in this series. This week's musician, he is a, uh, he is a rising star in the hip-hop world. He's also a very interesting fellow. So he's a Christian who's also a rapper. And he joins, this is a great list. Chris Tomlin, Toby Mac, Bob Carlisle, Leanne Rimes, and Lecrae, when's the last time you heard those five names together, as the only artist to ever have an album debut at number one on both the Gospel Albums charts and the Billboard 200 charts. Okay, so this guy, he's winning Christian Music Association Dove Awards, and he's also had his last two albums debut at number one on the Billboard charts. He's beaten out Stephen Curtis Chapman on one hand, and then Rihanna on the other, and you don't hear those two names in the same sentence very often, right? Uh, and just in case you're a little bit out of touch with the hip-hop game, I'm not going to make you guess who this week's musician is. I'm just going to tell you, okay? And then we're going to do a different thing for our giveaway. So this week's musician is NF. The song is called Lost. Nathan Feuerstein in his name. The song is featuring NF and Hobson. And for our uh, giveaway this week, here's one I'm going to have you guess. NF, one of the most 
famous rappers in the world, got his start at the same church as Witch Vista Staff. If you get it right, get a nice little tumbler here with the Spotify gift card in it. I believe in so. Show of hands if you think you know the answer. NF, one of the most famous rappers in the world, got his start at the same church as Witch Vista Staffer. Any guesses? There's only 14 of us. It's not that hard to guess. Yes. Dave? Now, nah, that's a good guess. But no, it's not Dave. Very good guess. Any other guesses? Chris? Another great guess. But no, it's not Chris. I'll give you a hint. It's, it's who? Sydney? Not Sydney. It's the other musician on staff. <laughs> yeah, Jordan. Here you go. I'm going to throw this to you, Sarah. You can give it to Debbie. So, yes, we actually got a video of Jordan, our, our worship pastor, NF, performing at the same church when they were both just little bitty tots. Here's the video to prove it to you. Little 13-year-old Jordan Shaft right there. They should have formed a duo. It would have been unbelievable. Um, and so as is often the case with uh, hip-hop music, there are a lot of lyrics. And if I read them all to you, we, we would be here for like four hours. And so I'm just going to read the most important verses to you, and then we're going to listen and watch the video together. All right, so here we go. Lost by NF. Look, self-awareness. Pride's a coat, and yes, I like to wear it buttoned up. Don't like to let no air in with a pair of gloves that I hope don't perish. I discovered, though, that when I get holes in them and I let joy in, I'm in higher spirits. My mistakes are like a screaming parrot, just repeating lyrics. I can barely bear it when I'm lost. Road is narrow. I'm looking down it like a gun's barrel. Aren't we all searching for the serum that could help us breathe and leave our state of peril? Now, all of us have made defensive scarecrows that we scatter around our fields and treat like heroes when they scare away the things that we should cherish because we're too embarrassed to admit the fear is that we're lost. Wow, these burdens are heavy. I'm hoping they don't bury me. I used to be joyful and skip so merrily, but now I'm too cautious and tiptoe carefully. My mind left, and it's nowhere to be found. Am I a big old parody? Because it ain't no fair to me, and now I'm at the point where I'm spending a grand a week on hypnotherapy. I like that line. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to wash away my sins. I got a group of loved ones that ain't my friends, and if I ever take an L, then they might grin, and they all want to see me stay in the cage I'm in. Last verse here. Yeah. I manifested this. Do not treat me like some adolescent kid. I am praying to the Lord with the book of James, hoping he's going to add my testament. This dark cloud, that's my residence. Demons knock and I don't have to let them in. I done made mistakes day to day, but you probably can't relate, but I just ain't the same when I'm lost. All right? Now, you've heard it. Let's watch the video. Lost by NF.
All right, so I grew up playing uh, basketball in Deep East Texas. And if you know anything about playing basketball in Deep East Texas, then you know that this means that I grew up on a steady diet of 90s rap music. Anybody else? Oh, my goodness, because when you're, when you're warming up to go into battle on the hardwood, you know, you can't be listening to like uh, Frank Sinatra or George Strait. Because as much as I love Frank Sinatra or George Strait, they don't get you very hyped for a game. You know what I mean? Like George Strait is great for two-stepping. He's the king of two-stepping. But if you are listening to George Strait and warm for a basketball game, then you are about to get your you-know-what kicked. I'm just telling you. If I walked into a gym and I heard some boys warming up to Amarillo by morning, I knew it was about to be a bloodbath. And so I grew up listening to like Tupac and Dre and Snoop Dogg and Jay-Z. But as I got older, I found that I, I stopped listening to rap music as much. Maybe some of the rest of you have noticed this phenomenon. And I'm not sure why, but I think it has something to do with the fact that as you get older, you feel like you have less reason to get hyped about stuff. Anybody else? Like, I am 35 with three kids running around my house all the time, y'all. So nowadays, I get hyped about going to bed at 8.30. Anybody else? <laughs> all my kids were gone this whole week. You know what I did last night? Big bachelor night for Austin. I went to bed at 8.15. I'm not kidding you. La-da-da-da-da. Going to bed at 8.30. Right? That's what my life is now. So it's been a while since I've been in the rap game. And maybe it's been a while for some of you, too. And let's be honest. Some of you have never been in the rap game. And so when you hear this song for the first time, you know, maybe it, maybe it ruffles your feathers a little bit because it feels very aggressive. You know, hip-hop music's very aggressive if you're not used to it. And maybe it even feels a little confused. Like in particular, did you notice how the song constantly toggles back and forth between like remorse and then rage, between confession and then blame? Right? Just look at it in this one verse. This is one of my favorite verses. Look. I'm trying to wash away my sins. What's that? That's remorse. It's confession. I got sins that need to be washed away. Then the next three verses, I got a group of loved ones that ain't my friends. And if I ever take an L, then they might grin and they all want to see me stay in the cage I'm in. What's that? It's rage. It's blame. And uh, one moment, you know, it's like he's filled with remorse and he's confessing his sins and he's acknowledging that something needs to be done with them. And then the next moment, the very next moment, he's raging against everybody and everything. It's me against the world and it's your fault and your fault and your fault and your fault. It's everybody's fault except my fault. And do you know what this, like, um, almost a schizophrenic fluctuation between confession and then blame reminds me of? Well, it reminds me of two things. First off, it reminds me of me. I mean, did any of the rest of you see that you have this, uh, this habit of, like, confessing your sins and acknowledging them one moment and then turning and blaming everybody else and everything for everything that's wrong in your life the next moment? You're like, dear Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. But God, all these people around me suck, and it is really their fault. You need to do something about them. I have a long list. You need to start at the top with this guy, right? That's like 80% of my prayers. Lord, have mercy on me. But Lord Jesus, you need to do something about them. So this fluctuation between confession and blame, it reminds me of us. But then the second thing it reminds me of is a whole lot of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. A lot of them. We're just going to read one of them today. Psalm 38, you can turn to your Bibles if you want. Psalm's pretty easy to find, right in the middle there. It'll also be on the screen. Psalm 38, this is Psalm of David. We're going to read the whole thing. So it's, O Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath, and chasten me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone above over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. 
My wounds grow foul and they fester because of my folly. I'm bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long for my loins are filled with burning. I don't know what that means, but it sounds bad. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me in the light of my eyes. Even, the light, even that has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction, and they devise treachery all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I'm like a mute man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I'm like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth there are no arguments. For I hope in you, O Lord, you will answer me, O Lord my God. For I said, may they never, may they not rejoice over me, who, when my foot slips, would magnify themselves against me. For I'm ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity. I'm full of anxiety because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. And those who repay evil for good, they oppose me because I follow what is good. So don't forsake me, O Lord. O my God, don't be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord my salvation, right? Psalm 38. So we did a series on David a few years ago. I think it was like three years ago. And one of the things I love most about David is that the dude just has no tolerance for BS. None. Like he's an Israelite, but you can tell he's got a little bit of Texan in him, right? He just tells it like he thinks it is. It may not be the way it actually is, but he's going to tell you the way he thinks it is. And so he starts out in verse 2, and he kind of tells God that he feels a little bit betrayed by God, right? Here's what he said. Your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. So he's kind of pointing the finger at God. But then he starts to take responsibility, and he does some confessing. This is verses 4 through 5. My iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. Okay, he takes responsibility. But then, I don't know if you notice, he starts to get a little blamey. Verses 11 through 12. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction, and they devise treachery all day long. We see the same thing again then in verses 18 through 20. He says, for I confess my iniquity. I'm full of anxiety because of my sin. But my enemies, let's talk about them for a second. They are vigorous and strong and many are those who hate me wrongfully and those who repay evil for good. They oppose me because I follow what is good. Same exact thing in Psalm 25, 18 through 19. Listen to this. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, though, for they are many, and they hate me with a violent hatred. Same thing in Psalm 31, 10 through 11. David says, my strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach. Right? And so back and forth and back and forth and back and forth we go. It's your fault. It's my fault. My life is hard because of my sins. My life is hard because of your sins. And you listen to it all very, very, very closely. Right? You listen to David and the Psalms. You listen to N.F. and Hobson. You listen to yourself and all those around you. You listen to it all very closely. And what I think we're all trying to say is something like this. Okay, If I could summarize it. Being a human is hard and somebody should do something about it. Can I get an amen? 
being a human is hard and somebody should do something about it. I mean, y'all, I know these are divisive times. We're all very divided people. We can't agree on what color the sky is right now. But I would like to think that this is a platform that everybody can get behind, yeah? Like if a politician ran on that platform, they would have my vote instantly. Because I don't know about you, but I am constantly doing sinful and stupid stuff. Just all day, every day. Y'all, on Easter Sunday this year, you know Easter Sunday, Biggest Sunday of the year. Super Bowl Sunday for us here. He's, he's fine. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday for us here. The Sunday when we have more first-time guests than any other Sunday. On Easter Sunday, during the 8 a.m. service, I made a joke about being glad that your mother-in-law died. Yeah, I, it was a very bad joke. It was a very bad joke. It was. And, and sadly, I thought it would be hilarious. And it took my own wife coming up to me after the 8 a.m. service and telling me that we would never sleep together again if I ever told that joke again to help me understand how dumb a joke it really was. And y'all, I did that on Easter Sunday in front of everybody, in front of God and everybody. Can you imagine what sort of simple and stupid stuff I do when you all aren't watching me? It's unbelievable. I'm a train wreck. The worst of all sinners, as Paul says of himself in 1 Timothy 1.15. And so somebody needs to do something about me. You don't need to amen that, Debbie. It's understood. Somebody needs to do something about me. But here's the thing. Somebody needs to do something about you too. Because I hate to break it to you because you are a train wreck too. And the ones among you who do not think you are a train wreck, you are the biggest train wreck out of everybody. I can assure you. Amen. And so here we are. All right. Homo sapiens. The human race created in the image of God and blessed with this unbelievable capacity for intelligence and compassion. And yet spending our lives lying and lusting and gossiping and blaming and betraying each other. Somebody better do something about us because we are lost. The story of the Old Testament and the story of the human race build up to this crescendo. Somebody better do something about us. And that, that's where Jesus comes in. All right, so if you got your Bibles, go to Romans 5, read verses 6 through 10. This is maybe my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Romans 5, 6 through 10. It'll be on the screen as well. This is Paul writing. He says, For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5, verses 6 through 10. Now, if you've, if you've been around church uh, long at all, or just been around someone who's been around church, then you've probably heard the gospel explained to you at some point. And you've perhaps heard it explained something like this. All right? If you will believe that Jesus died for your sins, then God will forgive you. Okay? If you will believe that Jesus died for your sins, ask him to your heart, then God will forgive you. And I cannot stress this next part strongly enough, but y'all, this, this is not the gospel. Okay? I know it kind of sounds like the gospel, I had a quick listen, but this, this is not the gospel. Because what did Paul just say in Romans 5 verse 10? Let's read it again. 
He says, while we were enemies, you ought to underline that part in your Bible. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And so notice that Paul doesn't say, hey, we are reconciled to God after and if we believe in Jesus. No, what Paul says is that we were reconciled to God when we didn't believe in Jesus. This is what Paul says. We were reconciled to God while we were still enemies, not once we got it together. And it's the exact same thing he says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And so notice again, God is not sitting around waiting to see if you'll like get it together and confess your sins and believe before he'll be reconciled to you. No, what Paul says is that God in Christ has already reconciled the whole world to himself and forgiven everybody their trespasses. Same exact thing he says in Colossians 1 verses 18 through 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And so again, God is not sitting around and waiting to see if you'll be reconciled to him. Now what Paul says is that in Christ God has already reconciled what? All things to himself. All things to himself. All that to say, the gospel, y'all, It is not that God will forgive and accept you if you will believe that Jesus died for your sins. Because that's not very good news. Because that means that God is sitting around and waiting on you to get it together enough before he'll forgive you. And that's just another form of warmed over works righteousness, right? God will forgive you if, if you do this thing, right? And that's not very good news. No, rather the good news of the gospel is not uh, that you, the good news of the gospel doesn't put you in charge of whether or not God will forgive and accept you. Rather the gospel proclaims that God, not you, is in charge. And that in Christ, God has always, already, unconditionally forgiven and accepted you in Jesus Christ. Because the good news of the gospel is not that God will find you if you'll let him. You ain't in charge. The good news of the gospel is that God has always, already found you in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so if you're here this morning, you know, and you feel lost, and who hasn't felt lost from time to time, I got some good news for you. You're not lost. You're not lost. And you don't need to go find God. Because in Jesus, God has always already found you. And so surrendering to Jesus, asking him into your heart, making him your Lord and Savior, however we want to say it, okay, and all those terms work. Surrender and submission to God is not a matter of you getting it together enough so that God will accept you. No, rather it's accepting that you can never get it together enough for God to accept you. And yet it has always already been graciously gifted to you. It is accepting God's invitation to accept that you have always already been unconditionally accepted by God through Jesus Christ. While you were still an enemy, you were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Can you accept that? And then if you're here today and, you know, you feel like you kind of you been there and done that with this gospel thing. You know, you heard it, understood it, moved on to more important things. I just want to remind you that the gospel, y'all, it's not something that we like master and then move past. Now, you don't get over the gospel. No, we just get deeper and deeper into the gospel forever and ever and ever and ever. We never get over the gospel. We just get deeper and deeper into the gospel. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of today. We are grateful for the way you have loved us, been faithful to us while 
we were still your enemies. Not once we got it together. While we were enemies, we were reconciled, forgiven, and accepted to you through your son, Jesus. And so I pray this morning for a lot of my friends who have gathered here today who have not accepted that they've been accepted. They're still trying to earn it, still trying to prove that they deserve it. I pray that this this too-good-to-be-true news would find a place in their hearts where they could receive it and realize they don't have to go looking for you because they have always already been found. Every last one of us was found at the cross, at the crucifixion of Jesus. And then I pray for, for my friends, self-included here, who, man, we've made this mistake of thinking that we, we got over the gospel. We've moved past it. We've moved on to other things. We don't ever get over the gospel. We just grow deeper and deeper into it forever and ever and ever. And we pray that in these moments you would move in our hearts and let us move deeper into the gospel today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.